All right. As we've been studying in our series in the book of Genesis, we are now headed to chapter 12 this morning. This is now week number eight in our series. Um, For those of you that have not gotten the series guide, make sure to grab one of these on your way out of the auditorium today. It gives you a weekly plan of what we are reading in order to be prepared for what you were going to be preaching on, on on this Sunday. So hopefully you guys are caught up, those of you that have this. And we've also been doing a Bible verse, a memory verse, that's at the bottom of this every single Sunday. Uh, Sorry, throughout the series we've been doing this. And uh, in this half of the series, we've been doing Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. So let's read that together. And it says this, on the count of three, let's read it together. One, two, three. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And so this is a model to us that God actually doesn't get tired. And he did this as a model to us to say, as you are going through life, make sure you take that Sabbath day. Make sure you take that day of rest, and you will be able to honor me more as you take that day of rest. And if God told us to do it, then it's probably a pretty good idea for us to do that. In the first eight weeks of this, of this series, we've covered the first 11 chapters, and now on week number nine, we are going to cover the next 14 chapters. That's right. Pastor Tim has assigned me to teach 14 chapters to you this morning. Isn't that special? <laughs> Okay, so today as we cover chapters 25, sorry, 12 through 25, we'll be talking about today the life of Abraham. Abraham was the first patriarch. After Abraham, we'll discuss the lives of Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. You know, the 12 tribes of Israel? Well, that wouldn't have happened without Abraham. Abraham was Jacob's grandfather, and Jacob was the one that God renamed Israel because it was Jacob's 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of Israel. Abraham was the founding father of it all. He was patriarch number one, so he's kind of a big deal. When I was a young girl going to Sunday school class, we would sing a song about this patriarch Abraham almost every Sunday. Some of you may know the song, and I'm going to read to you the lyrics right now. The lyrics go like this. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm. Not only did this song have us pumping our arms and stomping our feet and nodding our head and turning around... It also it did, had us do that while repeating those lines about Father Abraham. It was one of my most favorite songs to sing in Sunday school class, but it was also one of the most misunderstood. I never understood who I was singing about. My dad was not named Abraham. I'm a girl, so I'm not a son. But let's all praise the Lord. Right arm. I don't want any of us to leave today being confused on who this patriarch of our faith is. So we are going to learn about Father Abraham today and who he really is. In the first several chapters in the book of Genesis, Pastor Jim and Tim and Sam have preached to us about one failure of mankind after another. Adam and Eve disobeyed God and were cast out of the garden. Cain murdered his brother Abel and lied about it. Humanity became so corrupt that God cleansed the earth with a flood. 
Noah got drunk and exposed himself to his son Ham. In their defiance of God, men built a city and a tower, and God had to send confusion to the end, the rebellion. If you were God, what would you do with these sinners, men and women, that you had created in your own image? But instead of destroying them, God did something else. God, in his great mercy, called an elderly man and his wife to leave leave their home and go to a new land so that he might give humanity a new beginning. Because of God's call and their obedient faith, Abraham and Sarah ultimately gave to the world the Jewish nation, the Bible, and the Savior. And so as we do every Sunday at New Hope, we're going to read some scripture right now. And just to honor the word of God, um, we stand up. So we're going to be turning to Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 5 together. So if you could turn to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 5, and let's stand as we read God's word together. I'll be reading from the NIV this morning. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 5 says this, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father God, I just feel humbled to be preaching about this patriarch of our faith this morning. God, I pray, Lord, as we as a church learn from the life of Abraham, God, that you will help us to apply the things that Abraham learned into our own lives. God, and I have a a lot of things to cover with 14 chapters, Lord, but I just pray that the content of what you have spoken in your word will be what will stick with us this morning, God, and that we will learn what you want us to learn this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I'm going to be doing a lot more reading in my notes this morning than what I normally like to do, but that's because of the amount of content that has to be covered in this morning's um, topic of these 14 chapters in the life of Abraham. We are going to go one chapter at a time and review Abraham's life. Then after we review the life of Abraham, we're going to pull out some practical things out of Abraham's life that we can apply to our lives today. So we're going to go chapter by chapter, and I'm going to just give you the highlights of what happened in Abraham's life as we read through the scripture. In chapter 12, we see that Abraham was not his original name. His name was Abram. In verse 1, God calls Abram, not Abraham. In verse 2, God gives Abram a promise. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. In verse 4, Abram left the land and the home he had lived in for the last 75 years of his life, taking with him his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot. They traveled to Canaan, where God gave Abram another promise of, I will give you this land. A famine came, and we see the humanness of Abram as he travels with his family to Egypt to live out the famine. In verse 13, we see Abram telling his wife Sarai to lie about being his wife and to tell people that she is his sister so that they will be treated well. 
Then Pharaoh found out, confronted them on the lie, and then sent them on their way. And then that leads us to chapter 13. In verse 2 of chapter 13, we see the Lord fulfill his promise of blessing as Abram grew to be a wealthy man, blessed with a lot of livestock, silver, and gold. In fact, they had so much livestock that Abram and Lot split up their herds and parted ways. Abram gave Lot first choice of which direction he wanted to go, and after looking around, he liked the looks, he saw one direction, so Lot headed east toward Sodom. And Abram again was given a promise from God that he will be given all the land that he can see, that God will make his offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted, and that leads us to chapter 14. In verse 12 of chapter 14, there was a war near Sodom, and some kings joined together, four kings against five kings, and Abraham's, Abram's nephew Lot got kidnapped. Abram found out about it, took 318 guys with him to get Lot back, and God gave Abram and his men victory, and Abram restored what had been taken from Sodom, and now in chapter 15. Abram reminded God that he wasn't getting any younger and that he and his wife still hadn't had any kids. In verse 5, it says, God took Abram outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord's words to him. And now we're in chapter 16. Ten years have now passed. And now an 85-year-old Abram had heard God's promise about the whole kid thing, but not getting any younger Sarai wasn't feeling it, so she came up with her own plan. In verse 2, we see Sarai telling Abram to marry her slave named Hagar and to have a child through her. In verse 3, they got married. In verse 4, she was pregnant. In verse 5, Hagar didn't like Sarai anymore and was causing problems. Then in verse 6, Hagar ran away. In verse 7, an angel of the Lord appeared. That's a lot to happen in a few short verses. The angel told Hagar that she was to go back to Sarai and that the Lord will increase her descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. He also told her that she will have a son and that she is to name him Ishmael. He told her that Ishmael will be a wild donkey of a man and that his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him and that he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. And in verse 16, Ishmael was born to a now 86-year-old Abram and now we're in chapter 17. Thirteen more years have now passed, and Abram is now a 90-year-old man. God has now decided it was time to change Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of multitudes or father of a nation. God reviewed and renewed his promises to Abraham, and he instructed Abraham to keep his covenant of faithfulness to him, and as a sign of that covenant, all of the males were to be circumcised. It's in the Bible. It's not making it up. In verse 15, we see that God is also giving Abraham's wife a name change. Sarai is now to be called Sarah, and guess what? She is going to have a son. Yep, that's right. Although Abraham married a younger woman, that younger woman was now 90 years old, will have a son, and they are to name him Isaac. In chapter 18, we see that Abraham and Sarah got some visitors. These weren't just normal people stopping by. In verse 1, it says, the Lord appeared, and we see that two other guys were with him. Abraham and Sarah were the hostess with the mostess and made a quick feast for their three visitors. And while they were eating, the visitors asked about Sarah and said that in a year she would have a baby boy. 
Sarah was eavesdropping and laughed because her childbearing days had passed decades ago. And the Lord heard Sarah laugh and asked, is there anything too hard for the Lord? And Sarah felt embarrassed and defended herself saying, I didn't laugh. To which the Lord replied, yes, you did. That's in verse 15. Then Abraham and his visitors went on a short walk, and on that walk the Lord confided in Abraham that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah had turned so wicked, and that sin caused the Lord great grief, and he was planning on destroying those cities. Abraham knew that this is where his nephew Lot had made his home, and asked the Lord, if he only found ten righteous people living there, would the Lord save those cities? And the Lord responded, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. That's in verse 32. In chapter 19, the two angels that had been the Lord's traveling companions arrived in Sodom. Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city, and he had learned how to be the hostess with the mostess from his aunt and uncle, and he invited the two angels to stay at his house. The angels quickly saw that there weren't even ten righteous people living there, and that the Lord was going to fulfill his order of destroying the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. In verse 29, we see that it was for Abraham's sake that the angels rescued Lot and his family. However, Lot's wife didn't heed the advice the angels had given them, and she perished along with the others. So the Lord saved Lot and his his two daughters on that day. There's more to that story of incest and sin, but that story belongs to Lot and his two daughters and not to the story of Abraham. In chapter 20, we see Abraham lie again after another move. Even in her 90s, Sarah must have still been a looker because Abraham was still afraid to tell people that she was his wife. So to protect his own skin, he told the fib again to King Abimelech that Sarah was his sister. And again, we see that the truth came out sooner than later. And Abraham had to confess to why he did it, saying, I said to myself, there is no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. That's in verse 11. And now we're in chapter 21. Despite Abraham and Sarah's blunders, God remembered his promises to them. In verse 2, it says, Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised them. And they named him Isaac, which means laughter. Abraham was now 100 years old, and they laughed at how God had brought about such a miracle in their old age. However, as happy as they were, Ishmael was a little jealous. To prove the point that sibling rivalry and the relationship between step-siblings has been rocky since the very beginning. Ishmael and his mother Hagar were sent away, but the Lord had not forgotten the promises that he had made to them earlier, and God took care of their needs. And now we're in chapter 22, and the title of Genesis chapter 22 is called Abraham Tested. It is called this because in this chapter, God asks Abraham to sacrifice the thing he most held dear, the child of the promise, his son Isaac. In verse 2, God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Excuse me, what? But verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. So Abraham obeyed. He even cut the wood himself, and he set out for Mount Moriah. 
In verse 7, we see an awkward moment of Isaac asking his father, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham could have looked at Isaac and said, I'm looking at it, kid. However, instead, he said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham knew that it was God himself that had provided him with the promised son, Isaac. If God provided then, then Abraham trusted God to provide now. And as Abraham took that step of obedience that none of us will ever understand, Abraham bound his son, Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood, and he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And an angel of the Lord yelled Abraham's name and said, Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And right there, Abraham saw a ram stuck in some shrubs that became the burnt offering instead. And as we see the foreshadowing of God the Father knowing his son Jesus would eventually be the lamb that was sacrificed, God renewed his promises to Abraham yet again. In chapter 23, we see that after living for 127 years, his beloved wife Sarah passed away. Abraham mourned and wept for her, and then he made a wise land investment where he laid her to rest in a cave. In chapter 24, we see that Abraham wanted to secure Isaac's future. Abraham asked a big favor from his most trusted servant to travel to find a wife for Isaac from their own people. And God blessed that journey, and that blessing led to the story of Isaac and Rebekah. And then in chapter 25, 25, after 175 years of living, Abraham breathed his last. In verses 7 and 8, it says, Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave with his wife Sarah. I wonder how many of our lives could be summed up in 14 chapters. We see in these 14 chapters that the Bible isn't telling us a fairy tale. These chapters are not portraying a perfect man that had a perfect life. Abraham didn't even make perfect choices. And I I don't have time today to go into the history or even the current events of Israel and how that all started with Abraham. However, that is an interesting study. If you guys have some time, you could study what happened to Ishmael and his descendants, what happened to Isaac and his descendants. is all really fascinating. Even knowing that Sodom and Gomorrah were located where the Dead Sea now resides is fascinating. When God destroys something and said, and nothing else is going to live here, he means it. If you want to study all of these things, I know you'll find it really interesting. These chapters are showing us about real life. They're showing us real people going through real experiences in the real world. And you know why? Because Abraham was a real person that really lived, and this is a real story. One reason the Bible tells us these stories of people like Abraham is because we are like them. And their experiences help us to understand ourselves and our relationship with God. We saw in the beginning of the chapters that we're studying today that when God first called Abraham, he gave him a clear command. God told Abraham to leave his country for a land that he would show him sometime later. 
And to receive the promised blessing, Abraham had to leave everything behind that he relied on for safety and provision, his homeland and his relatives, and trust that God would honor his commitment. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, it says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. We see that God in his first encounters with Abraham gave Abraham a command, which Abraham chose to obey, but he also gave Abraham some promises. And today we know that God had in mind the nation of Israel when he gave those promises to Abraham. Abraham became the father of the Hebrew people. He was the father of the Jewish nation. And we also see through reading these chapters that Abraham and Sarah had to go through a 25-year faith-building journey as they waited for the promises to be fulfilled. Who in here likes to wait? We don't even like to wait in lines, let alone wait 25 years for something that we've been praying and hoping for. If we can skip the line in waiting, we do. Even while we're driving, we will hop over to the other lane if we think it will get us there faster. So can we truly judge Abraham and Sarah when they got tired of waiting for one of God's promises to be fulfilled? And in reading these chapters, one of the things that we can take away is this. Don't decide your own fate when God says wait. Don't decide your own fate when God says wait. I told our middle son, Nat, that this was going to be one of my points. He said, well, it rhymes, so it must make it true. (laughs) But let's not decide our own fate when God says to wait. When Abraham and Sarah got tired of waiting on parenthood, they decided their own fate. Sarah gave Abraham one of her servants who had simply been doing her work around the house. And the next thing she knew, she was wearing a wedding veil and marching off to the honeymoon tent of an 85-year-old groom. Poor Hagar. How many of us put ourselves in a bad situation because we got impatient? Sometimes we settle for good enough for now. Whether it's waiting for the right job, the right house, the right spouse. Sometimes we get tired of the wait. But let's learn from Abraham and Sarah. Don't decide your own fate when God says to wait. Recently, one of our boys has been struggling with something. I asked him if he's been praying about it, and he responded, yes, but I haven't heard God tell me anything yet. And I looked at him and said, then stay where you are. When you don't hear anything, stay put. If God wants you to make a change, he will let you know. In the waiting is where God does some of his best work on our souls. When we're forced to wait on God's timing, we change. Sometimes we discover that our requests were not part of God's agenda at all. Other times we find that our level of maturity could not yet handle the blessing that God wants us to enjoy. And sometimes our circumstances need to change or the blessing will become a burden. If we decide our own fate when God says to wait, we're going to end up putting ourselves somewhere where God didn't ask us to go. Think about Abraham's nephew Lot for a minute. When Abraham and Lot had to part ways because the land couldn't support the vast amount of their livestock, the Bible doesn't say that Lot prayed about the decision. Abraham, being the nice uncle that he was, gave Lot first choice. Lot looked around, saw which land looked pretty, and said, I'll go there. 
Lot's greed ended up placing himself, his family, and his future in jeopardy. When we have big decisions to make, the best thing that we can do is pray about it and then trust in God's timing. God desires to protect, provide, and guide us in order to accomplish his divine plan for our lives. When we wait for God's timing, we understand that God's desire is to protect us. He wants to provide for us. We are his children. We are his people. He wants to provide for us, and he wants to guide us in order to accomplish not our plans, but for his divine plan in our lives. When conditions appear grim, when a situation begins to overwhelm us with doubt, fear, disillusionment, or depression— God wants us to trust in his unchanging character. While circumstances change continually, God does not. It is never dark where God is. He is light. Our God is ageless and timeless and eternal and holy and pure. He is omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere, and he is for us, not against us. I think many of us need to hear this reminder today. And as we remember this, here are a few, few points to remember during the season of waiting. The first is this. Remember that God is never accidentally late. He is always right on time. The second is forget about your own schedule and plans. God is so much bigger for you plans than what you could ever imagine for yourself. Forget about your own schedule and plans. And number three, while waiting, ask God for sustaining strength and divine wisdom. In the series of seasons of waiting that we are in, which we all absolutely hate because seasons of waiting are the most it, we're so impatient. We're wanting God to move. We want God to move now. And God, I don't want to wait for this any longer. If you're wondering what to do during those seasons, it's number three. Ask, for God sustaining, ask God for sustaining strength and divine wisdom, remembering that he's never accidentally late, and he sees the big picture, and he has a plan for us all. So slow down. Wait patiently. God is not in a hurry. Pray, trust in God's timing. His plan is way better than anything we could come up with, and he will never forget his promises. And as we talk about God's promise, we also need to remember that God's promises are linked to their context. God's promises are linked to their context. When we read a promise from God in the Bible, we have to ask ourselves a few questions. And the questions that we should, we should ask ourselves in the Bible when we see a promise are this. To whom is he speaking? Who is God talking to when he's giving that promise? In what circumstance did he make the promise? Who will be affected by the promise? Is the promise universal, affecting everyone who ever lived? Or is God directing the promise to a specific person or group? So here are some universal promises that we can all claim. Like Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Or John 3, 26, Anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. These are universal promises. These are promises that are for everyone for all time. What we can't do is try to claim a promise from the Bible that was directed to a specific, specific person and try to claim it for ourselves. 
If you were to marry extremely late in life, you couldn't say to your aged spouse, honey, just because you're 68 and I'm 74, it's no problem. Look at what the Bible says. You will have a son in your old age. This would be taking the Bible out of context. We also need to look at promises in the Bible that contain an if-then structure, like John 5.24, which states, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. This is an if-then. If you listen to God's message and believe in God who sent Jesus, then you will have eternal life. That promise is conditional. If you fulfill your part, then God will complete his. What I want to say here is for us to be careful. There are many people who have written books about praying a certain prayer and that God will bring you a blessing, and we need to be careful. Sometimes, although we think, I, I think that we do have good intentions when we're trying to claim a promise from God. I do believe we all have good intentions in it. But we need to try, we need to not try to claim a promise that was not directed to us. Although there are many promises that are directed to us that God does want us to claim, you have to be careful and always look at the context. However, we can be assured that every single promise in the Bible that God has given us, he will always fulfill. God says that in his promises are always yes and amen, which means that he will fulfill 100% of the promises that he puts in the Bible. But we have to make sure that we always look at the context of that promise. Another thing that we can see here in the life of Abraham is that we are never too old to begin our faith journey. We are never too old to begin our faith journey. For the first 75 years of his life, Abraham lived in Ur of the Chaldeans near Babylon in present-day Iraq. His family and culture worshipped many gods. It doesn't say in the Bible that Abraham had planned on moving or on changing his lifestyle or habits. Then Abraham received a visit from the one true creator God who gave a direct calling to his life. God basically said to Abraham, I have chosen you to become my model as a man of faith. I want you to walk with me and I have a plan for your life. And sometime around their 50th wedding anniversary, the Lord uprooted the then 75-year-old Abraham and his 65-year-old wife Sarah from their comfortable and predictable life. And from then on, they learned to depend entirely on God's provision and protection. Earlier, we read in Hebrews um, chapter 11, verse 8, which said, by faith, Abraham. By faith means he willingly exchanged the known for the unknown, all because he trusted God. If we continue reading in Hebrews chapter 11, we see that although Abraham's faith started later in life, when he was tested, he trusted in Hebrews eleven seventeen, it says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his own, one and only son. When Abraham was, was tested, he trusted. And we can learn from Abraham here that we shouldn't let the odds of any situation keep us from trusting God and that we are never too old to trust him. As we wrap up today... <laughs> I know this is a lot of content, 14 chapters, an entire lifetime to to share all in one Sunday. As we wrap up today, though, I want us to take away a few more things that we can learn from the life of Abraham. And um, those three things are this, wherever God leads, follow. Let's follow Abraham's example in this. Wherever God leads, follow. There is no safer place to be than where God sends you. 
And the second is this, whatever God promises, believe. God will always fulfill his promises. And the third is, whenever God tests, trust. God will not withhold his love from you, and he can be trusted. So whenever God tests, trust. Our family is, co- is currently going through the heaviest season we have ever been in. And last week, uh, a man with good intentions came up to us and said, well, it's a good thing that God won't give you more than you can handle. And I smiled knowing this is bad theology. And I said back to him, it's a good thing God won't give us more than he can handle. That's good theology. God won't give us more than he can handle. And although me preaching these chapters in the life of Abraham was not my decision, (laughs) I'm thankful it worked out this way. Through all the studying that I did on the life of Abraham, there were so many things that stuck out to me of lessons that God taught me personally. One of them being, even if you are completely chosen to be God's guy or God's girl, it doesn't mean that life is going to be easy for you. I saw in the life of Abraham that faith is built through adversity. I also saw through studying what it means to wait on the Lord. It is all about God's timing not ours. He is the keeper of the whole story, and he won't answer prayers until he knows it is the best time. It is not our timing. It is his. I also learned that although Abraham did not live a perfect life, he continued to grow in his faith throughout his life. We are still going to make mistakes. Even the most faithful need grace and mercy. And what we do with that grace and mercy and how we continue to keep moving forward is the sign of our increasing faith. There are countless things that I've said or done that I truly regret. I wish I could go back and have a do-over. But then I read the stories of people like Abraham and know that they weren't perfect either. I shouldn't expect perfection from myself. I am not Jesus. I'm going to make mistakes, and people in the Bible made mistakes. But they kept moving forward. They kept walking with God. There's not one person in the Bible that did not mess up. However, I've asked God to forgive me, and then I keep moving forward. And that's what a faith journey looks like. There is a lot to learn from the life of Abraham and all of these things. In... Galatians chapter 3, verses uh, 7 through 9, it says this, Understand then that those who have faith are the children of Abraham. Remember the promises that he gave, your descendants will be as numerous as stars as the dust. If you are a follower of Christ and you're sitting here, you are a child of Abraham. It wasn't just that he was the patriarch of the Hebrews and of the Jewish nation. He's the patriarch of our faith. In the, in the New Testament, it says that if you are a child of, of God, if you are a believer in the Son of Jesus Christ, then you yourself are a child of Abraham. In verse 8 and 9 of Galatians chapter 3, it says, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, those who were not Jewish. I'm not Jewish. I'm a Gentile. God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Isn't that 
an awesome part of this patriarch that God foreknew that he called this guy that wasn't perfect, but, but obeyed God's calling on his life. And look what God did. If we have faith in Jesus, then we are children of Abraham, who God said is the man of faith, which is a really cool thing. So let's go back to the beginning. Father Abraham had many sons. <laughs> many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Amen. Right? Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray. God, we are thankful. So, so thankful, God. That you're God that always has a plan. And your your plan can be trusted. And God, even though we don't live perfect lives and we make mistakes and and we do things, God, that um, of our own sinful, fleshly nature, that grace and mercy is always extended to us. is always given so freely. God, as we have studied these 14 chapters, may we apply what we have learned here. May we continue to follow your plan. May we be obedient to the things that you've called us to, God, as we continue the faith journey that you've set out first to our forefathers and now to us. And we're thankful, God, that you're God that can be trusted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.